You're listening to Cool Runnings. Hi guys, Jake here. I've moved on to the second volume of our Toes Collected Works, which begins with a series of the Theater Alfredgeri pamphlets and program notes. They are very stirring. <laughs> For us, Artilliers is a new company. I keep having the impulse to temper our expectations, to treat our aims as simple, relatable, achievable. Our toe goes in pretty much the exact opposite direction. The pamphlets on the Jari Theater call for nothing short of a human revolution. Perhaps unsurprising, in light of what we know about Artaud's inclinations towards the messiah complex, but still. It makes me want to rise to his challenge. It makes me want to change the verbiage of Artilliers, to give myself permission to give our company the loftiest goals possible. Listen, for instance, to what he says in an essay called No More Masterpieces. Quote, A public that shudders at train wrecks, that is familiar with earthquakes, plagues, revolutions, wars, that is sensitive to the disordered anguish of love, can be affected by all these grand notions and asks only to become aware of them, but on condition that it is addressed in its own language. End quote. In the same breath, he says, quote, If, for example, a contemporary public does not understand Oedipus Rex, I shall make bold to say that it is the fault of Oedipus Rex and not the public. End quote. Old plays, new ways. That has a very artillery's ring to it. I should say this is by no means a theater of cruelty that we're building. But I am curious about the difference between when he says the public's own language and what we mean when we say a contemporary method of rehearsing and performing classic plays. Where does it meet? Where does it amplify further? This week, we have a very special episode for you. No hosts, no stories, just 10 minutes of pure Arto from the man who will be bringing him to life at the Dream Up Festival for us this September. Actor Peter Smith reads The Window of Love, a short story and essay by Antonin Arto. This won't be the last time you hear from Peter. And I mean that both in the short and the long term. Enjoy. The Window of Love I wanted her shimmering with flowers, with little volcanoes attached to her armpits, and especially that bitter cystic lava at the core of her body, standing erect. There was also an eyebrow arch and the entire sky passed under it, a sky truly full of rape, kidnapping, lava, a storm and fury sky, in short, an utterly theological sky. A sky like a standing arch, like the trumpet of doom, like hemlock drunken dreams, a sky contained in all the files of death, a Heloise above Abelard sky, a loving suicide sky, a sky possessing all the furies of love. This sky was a protester's sin, Sin held back at confession. 
Those sins which burden the conscience of priests, a truly theological sin. And I loved her. She was a maid, in a Hoffman-esque tavern, but a shabby, sluttish little girl, an unwashed slut of a serving girl. She dished out the plates, cleaned up, made the beds, swept the rooms, shook the canopies over the beds, and undressed in front of her attic window like all the maids in all of Hoffman's tales. At the time, I slept in a sorry bed whose mattress rose up every night, curled up in the face of the advancing rats, thrown up by the ebbing of bad dreams, and smoothed out again at sunrise. My sheets smelt of tobacco and the morgue, and that deliciously nauseating smell investing our bodies when we concentrate on smelling them. In short, real amorous student's sheets. I was swatting away at a voluminous blundering thesis on the miscarriages of the human mind at the soul's worn-out thresholds man's mind never attains. But I was much more obsessed by the thoughts of the girl than all the visions of the excessive nominalism of objects. I saw her through the sky, through the broken windows in my room, through her own eyebrows, through the eyes of all my old flames, and through my mother's golden hair. Now it was New Year's Eve. The thunder was thundering, the lightning was flashing, the rain was coming along fine, the cocoons of dreams were bleeding, the frogs in all the ponds were croaking. In short, the night was doing its job. I now had to find a way of getting in touch with reality. It was not enough to be in touch with the dark vibrations of objects, for example, to hear the voices of the volcanoes, to invest the object of my love with all the charms of preconceived adultery, for example, or in all the horror, filth, scatology, crime, and deceit connected with the idea of love. I simply had to find a means of approaching her openly, that is to say, and above all, to speak to her. The window suddenly opened. In one corner of the room I saw huge chess pieces with an array of hidden lights reflected on them. Bodiless heads danced in circles, knocked together, fell about like nine pins. There was an enormous wooden knight, a morphine queen, a castle of love, and an age to come. Hoffman's hands moved the pawns, and each pawn said, Do not seek her there! and there were angels in the sky whose wings refused to budge. I therefore stopped, looking out of my window, or hoping to see my beloved little maid. In the room just above mine, I heard feet finish crushing planetary crystals. Passionate sighs came through the floor, and I heard something soft slump down. At that instant, all the plates on earth came clattering down, and all the customers in the world's restaurants gave chase to the little Hoffman-esque serving girl. Then the maid appeared, running like the devil. Then Pierre Mac Orlan, the absurd boot repairer, passed by, pushing a barrow down the road. After him came Hoffman, holding an umbrella. Then Akim Darnim. Then Louis walking obliquely. At length, the earth opened and Gerard de Nerval appeared. He was greater than all the rest. There was also a little man, me. You are not dreaming, mind you, 
said Gerard de Nerval. Besides, here is Monk Lewis, who knows something about it. Lewis, would you venture to maintain the opposite? No, by all the hairy twats. I thought, they are stupid. What is the use of regarding them as great authors? So you see, said Gerard de Nerval, this is all related. You mix her up, season her to taste, don't think twice, peel her off. The girl is my wife. I thought, he does not even know the importance of words. Excuse me, the value, the value of words, my brain whispered to me as it knew something about it too. Shut up, brain, I said. You are not bright enough yet. Hoffman said to me, let us get to the point. And I said, I don't know how to get together with her. I don't dare to. Well, you don't have to be daring, Lewis retorted. You will win her obliquely. Obliquely only to what? I replied. For the time being, she is the one who keeps crossing my mind. But we've told you love is devious. Life is devious. Thought is devious. Everything is devious. You will have her when your mind is not on her. Listen, up there. Can't you hear that soft conspiracy? The contact of that inconceivably plastic mass? My head was splitting. At last I understood they were her breasts. I understood they were touching. My little maid, her very bosom, had breathed all those sighs. I also understood she had lain down on the floor to be nearer me. The rain continued to flow. Down in the street they sang ghastly, stupid songs. Stupid swine! I yelled, getting up. You are spoiling the true spirit of love! The street was empty. There was only the moon, which kept up its watery murmur. Which charms are finest? Which jewels costliest? Which almonds the most succulent? I smiled at the thought. I am not the devil as you see, she said. Well, no, she wasn't the devil. My little maid was in my arms. I wanted you for such a long time, such a long time, she said. Then we took leave of darkest night. The moon climbed back up in the sky. Hoffman burrowed down into his cellar. All the restaurants put up the covers. There was nothing left. Only love. Heloise and her coat. Abelard and his tiara. Cleopatra and her aspic. All the tongues of darkness. All the stars of madness. Then love was like an ocean, like sin, like life, like death. Love under the arcades, pelvic love, love in bed, love like clinging ivy, love like a tidal wave. Love as great as told in tales, love like art, love like everything which exists. And all this in so small a woman, in such a mummified heart in such a limited mind, but mind thought for both of us. 
from the depths of some unfathomable intoxication. A painter seized with dizziness suddenly despaired. But the night was lovelier than anything else. All the students returned to their rooms. The artist painted over his cypresses. My thoughts were more and more suffused with doomsday light. Soon, there was only a gigantic mountain of ice left, and on it, blonde hair dangling down. Runnings is produced by Jake Beckhardt and Serena Berman, and in a larger sense, by Artilliers, a new paraclassical theater company. We do old plays in new ways, and new plays in bold places. To learn more and to support Arto Arto at the Dream Up Festival at Theater for the New City this September, check out our Kickstarter in the description. This is our last week of fundraising. It ends on Friday. That's August 7th, which is only two days following the release of this episode. Folks, every little bit counts. A dollar buys us paper for signs. Ten dollars buys us an hour of rehearsal space. Fifty dollars costumes an actor. Lay a brick for our heart. We'll never forget you did. Or... Find us on Facebook.com slash Artilliers. That's A-R-T-I-L-L-I-E-R-S to learn more about our company and about us. Thanks to Peter Smith this week for his extraordinary storytelling ability. Come see him bring our total life this September. Thanks, guys. Keep it cool. <laughs> <laughs>